0: as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. this morning. Psalm 98. We're going to read all nine verses. Psalm 98 in verse number one, the Holy Spirit says through the psalmist, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked Salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his Hesed, his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn, the shofar make joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with You may be seated. You know, uh, Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. But often, instead of jingled bells, we often deal with jangled nerves. And it is really easy for us to lose our joy. How many of you have joy? (laughs) You know, we live in a world that is driven in a pursuit of happiness. Uh, The number one question that drives most people is how can I be happy? You know, the Declaration of Independence does say that we are to be on that pursuit of happiness. And our world will tell you how you can fill the voids in your life to have some sense of happiness. But if you really talk to people, a lot of people aren't that very happy. And most of them, when they do have those moments of happiness, those moments of happiness are very short-lived. And the reason why is because there is a difference between joy... And happiness. Now, you've probably heard this before, that happiness depends on what happens. It depends on the circumstances of life. It's, it's normally short-lived, and, and it's normally fleeting. You, you can be happy uh, after eating a bowl of ice cream. Uh, you can be happy when your team wins a, uh, wins a game. You, you can be happy uh, when certain other things fit in, but then not too long thereafter, it just kind of goes away. It's kind of like a balloon just filled with hot air. You have to constantly hit it to keep it up, up, up. And if you don't constantly hit it, if you don't constantly have something that drives it up, it just goes down to the bottom. That's how a lot of us are. But joy is different. Joy is deeper than happiness. Joy is not conditional, nor is it fleeting. Joy is like a helium-filled balloon. It's constantly rising and constantly full. You know, it's been said that America runs on Duncans. But I think the Bible teaches us that Christians actually run on joy. The secret to the Christian life is joy. Christians can have joy in a world that is broken, filled with pain and hurt and injustice. And they can trust when everyone else doubts. But yet, if we're really honest, we struggle in that fight for joy. But but yet, if you are a Christian, you can have joy. But, But some of you have lost your joy. Oh, how can we have joy? How can we as believers have joy when everyone else is miserable? And here's why. Because joy comes from having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so what you need this Christmas, what you and I need this Christmas, is not more things to make us happy. What you and I need is to reorient our hearts around the joy that comes from a right relationship with God. One of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, Christmas Songs was written in 1719 by the British pastor Isaac Watts. It's a song that we'll sing at the end called Joy to the World. It was written uh, in a book of hymns based on the Psalms called Psalms of David Imitated. It was written by Isaac Watts to the church that he pastored in London. Now, when this hymn book came out, uh, Isaac Watts actually received a lot of criticism. Uh, the people called this book Watts Whims, and they, they They said that he was modernizing the Psalms and and was really heretical. I mean, people saw his hymns as being heretical and uh, against uh, the, the normal orthodoxy of that day. But yet in history, some 300 years later, we know him, Isaac Watts, as being the father of English hymnody. And so the song Joy to the World was a part of that hymnal. And yet the irony of this song is that it was not written for Christmas at all. Uh, it was written uh, to think uh, to focus the mind's attention on the second coming of Christ and yet it is one of the most iconic christmas songs sang every christmas now this hymn if you remember the text of the hymn traces the history of redemption starting in the garden and going all the way to Christ's glorious return and on every phrase on every line there is this call to Joy. And so Isaac Watts bases this song, Joy to the World, on Psalm 98, and it is written uh, with that messianic expectation and written with a Christian perspective based on how Christ fulfills it. And so the call of the song is to have joy. And so what we're going to learn today is what both Psalm 98 and the song Joy to the World teach us, that we can have joy when we know Jesus, because he is the Savior who has come, the King who reigns, and the Jehovah who is coming. So let's just walk through that. Number one, we can have joy uh, because the Savior has come. That first line, "Joy to the world, the Lord has come." Uh, the first f- uh, verse here in Psalm ninety-eight is, "Sing to the Lord, sing to Yahweh, sing to God." This is not a suggestion. This is not a helpful hint from Heloise. This is a command. We are to sing to the Lord because the Lord tells us to sing. Now, I think sometimes we misunderstand what corporate worship is about. Uh, Sometimes we come here and we think that this is like a concert or it's like America's got talent. And we think that, well, God's the director and the people on the stage are the performers and you and I sitting in these chairs over here, we're the audience and we're the critics. So, we're Simon Cowell. But the reality is, is that we are the choir, and God is the audience. And we are not singing to ourselves. We are not in this place for entertainment. We are here to worship our God, the Lord, who has come. And so, he says, sing to the Lord. A new song. Now, we sang a new song this morning, but what did we mean by new song? Well, a new song in the book of Psalms or in the Old Testament was associated with a new victory of the Lord and so sometimes and oftentimes the song uh, would speak about some sort of victory that God's going to perform for his people and it would be sang before the battle so if there was a war that was going on if there was a battle that was about to be fought someone would write a new song claiming victory in that battle and they would sing that song with all their might before they went into that battle and then after the battle once they won the war they would sing it again celebrating the victory. Here the psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song. Why? Because the Lord has done something marvelous. The word marvelous is a, is a Hebrew word that points to the miraculous saving acts of God. Something so supernatural, so wonderful, so mind blowing that it fills our hearts with awe and wonder. And so Psalm 98 is saying, sing to the Lord a new song of what he is going to do and what he has done. Now, why this is, important, especially as we think of joy to the world, is that when Isaac Watts wrote that song, the church in that day, in 18th century England, did not sing any new songs. As a matter of fact, they only sang psalms or scripture set to music. And what, what Isaac Watts noticed is that it was very familiar to the people and they had no joy They had no emotion when they sang. As a matter of fact, Isaac Watts wrote, he said, to see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of the whole assembly while the psalm is upon their lips might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. In other words, when I watch these people sing these songs, they don't look very happy. And it may make me wonder, are these people really Christians at all? And what happens is this is what happened to them then in, in 18th century England is what happens in the 21st century in America. We have lost the wonder and joy of God. And I think it's because we're so familiar with it. I mean, how many times do we come to Christmas, sing the same old songs, hear the same story, go through the motions and feel absolutely nothing? We're thoughtless and mindless, and we even maybe have some contempt. I mean, Christmas music now starts the day after Halloween in America. And there's a dilemma as a pastor. I mean, how is it that every year, you know you're gonna have to speak on a topic? How do you engage the audience with the same story? Well you don't lose the awe of it. See, see, the psalmist looked in faith before the battle. And wrote this psalm saying that the Lord is going to provide salvation with his right hand and his holy arm. The same language used to describe the exodus where the people of Israel were in the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And yet God freed his people, destroyed their enemies and brought them safely to a new home. As this psalm 98 was written some thousand years before the advent of Christ, what the psalm knew by faith, we know by name. What the psalmist knew only by his faith, we know by name, the name of Jesus, because Christmas is the celebration of the marvelous acts of God, bringing salvation to this world. See, without the incarnation of Christ, there would be no crucifixion of Christ. Without the crucifixion of Christ, there would be no resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. Without salvation, there would be no hope and there would be no joy. See the song joy to the world and the psalmist are imploring us to see the wonder that the Lord God Almighty has come that God in that great profound mystery became a man that he who is high and holy came and dwelt among the quant- the contrite and the lowly that for in him the fullness of deity dwelt bodily See when God came to save us he didn't send an angel He didn't create a savior No, he came himself to save his people. It was God and God alone when Jesus entered into this world, he took upon flesh and blood so that he could defeat the enemies of flesh and blood. And he at the cross defeated our enemies and in his resurrection, obliterated them. And in that moment, just as God told Moses to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So we sit back and watch and see the salvation of the Lord. That is nothing that we could do for him or nothing that we did do for him. said, he and he alone saved us. And so verses two and three speak about the globalness of this salvation, that the Lord has made known his salvation. Notice here in the sight of the nations, all the ends of the earth, that God's salvation is so that the nations would be glad, so that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would be saved, could be saved. And that includes you and me, that yes, God remembered His covenant, yes, he remembered through his love that even though a people who turned their back on them, he has said in his his oath that he would never forsake them because of his goodness and mercy, his eternal persistent and stubborn love for his people, that he would never let them go and never let them down. Even though we have repeated him over and over and over again, God and his love brings us salvation that we do not deserve. See, salvation is not us coming to God. Salvation is God coming to us. God took the initiative. God came to us. No other religion has God doing what God does. All other religions say that we are to do better, to try harder, to be gooder. And maybe God will accept you. But Christianity tells us that God came to rescue us because we couldn't rescue ourselves. And so this psalm and the song is calling us to sing, to sing like we are saved, to have a total soul, mind, and body singing out for the joy of the Lord. Have you ever sat next to someone who was really worshiping? Maybe you've sat next to me. Sometimes I feel sorry for the people that sit next to me. And maybe you've seen somebody, and man, they are really worshiping the Lord. And you may say, well, I'm not really sure I believe what that guy believes, but I believe he believes it. Some people come to church, and they're so unhappy. I mean, like like, like they've been weaned on a dill pickle. They are so sour. I mean, how can you sit here when the praises of God are being sung in the house of God and just be like this? And some of you, man, if you are saved, some of you need to tell your face. (laughs) We sing because we're happy. We sing because we're free. We're saved folk. And joy comes into your heart when you realize all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Do you understand? Oh, don't get over this, that God has done absolutely everything necessary for you and I to have a right relationship with him so that our sins can be completely forgiven and our future can be completely secure. You know, maybe you're not like me, but I'm pretty messed up, and so I'll go ahead and share a little bit about me. You know, there are days that I don't really, I don't really like myself. There are days that I struggle with who I am, and, and Satan and the accuser of the brethren tells me, this is what you do, and this is what you said, and this is who you are. Or maybe you have other things in your past that, that, that your mind is constantly bringing up to you, or maybe you look in the mirror, and you see that you've traded your upper chest for lower drawers, and, and, and maybe just the old gray mare ain't what she used to be, and maybe the Red Sea is parting. I don't know what's happening in your life. But you start listening to all these voices in your head. You feel really bad about yourself. Stop listening to yourself and preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that you are not saved on the basis of who you are or what you have done or how smart or how good or how pious you are, but you're saved on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for you. That there's nothing you can do that would make God love you more or nothing you can do that would make God love you less than he loves you in Jesus Christ. And therefore, be happy and sing for joy, joy to the world. The Savior has come. Joy to the world for the king who reigns. In verse four, he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise before the king. Isaac Watts puts it this way, says joy to the earth. The savior reigns later on, he says he rules the world with truth and grace. We have a king, a king who is not elected, a king who can never be impeached, a king who will never lose his handle on Twitter. (laughs) A king who cannot be canceled. A king who rules with truth and grace. A king who sees what is right and does what is right. A king who is not beholden to others. A king who does not owe or have to repay any interest group or any person of money. We have a king, and he says, make a joyful noise. That word, joyful noise, or specifically the word noise, means an enthusiastic, loud sound, a shout. Now notice, it doesn't say make a beautiful noise, it says make a joyful noise. Some people ask me, Pastor, why is the music so loud here? It's to drown out bad singers. My philosophy is this. If you can't sing good, sing loud. Right? That's why we crank it up. So you don't hear me. Shout for joy. This this whole concept is spontaneous shouting for joy. I mean, when's the last time you shouted for joy to God? You know, I love going to old churches and those old timers, you preach to them. They say, amen. Amen. Preach it, brother. Preach it. Come on. Come on. I mean, my last church, we would have people, they would talk to me. I mean, it was fun because you knew that they were still awake and they would say, amen. Preacher, keep going. Preacher, keep going. You got it, preacher. Now there would be some in the back going like, doing hand signals. And here's what I would do. I go, <laughs> but it's okay to say, amen. It's okay to shout. It's okay to say, praise the Lord. It's okay to say, hallelujah. I remember in my last church, a, a lady named Emma Thompson. She's with the Lord. Now Emma Thompson, I'd be preaching in the middle of it. She just start saying, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> It's okay to do that. You know the word hallelujah is is two Hebrew words put together, Hallel Yahweh. Hallel can can be translated to lift up your hands, to celebrate, to jump up and down. When's the last time you've come to church and you've jumped up and down? And some of you say, preacher, I can get up, but I can't get down. (laughs) Or some of you say, I can get down, but I can't get up. (laughs) It's okay to praise the Lord. Now you say, "Well, Pastor, are we becoming Babadacostal?" If that's the case, let's be it. Let's get some joy, right? It's all right. Now I didn't say scream, and you say, "Well, Pastor, you've been screaming the whole service." Well, <laughs> let me let me let me get to my monotone. I said uh, shouting, not screaming. See, if you get a bunch of kids together, like if you go to FBA or you go down to the kids hall right now and you say, hey, you guys say shout and scream. I mean, you wouldn't like it. <laughs> it would be some high pitch cry. That's not here. This is a shout of celebration. Have y'all been watching the World Cup? Man, those people get with it. I mean, like if you go to Rupp Arena in Kentucky, you got those blue hairs sitting there and they, got, they paid millions of dollars to sit in those seats and they just sit there and, hey, what do you think, Harold? We gonna be any good this year? I don't know. You know, like they're sitting there like, you know. Sometimes I feel like that's how we come to church, you know. Like, could you imagine preaching to you? I mean, think about that. <laughs> but in the World Cup, man, they're getting together. Did you see the guy, I think he was from Argentina or somewhere, he, he brought a trumpet do you imagine somebody in the back just tooting their own horn? I mean, some of y'all toot it anyway, but uh, <laughs> different kind of horn. But for joy, joy, joy. We have a king, he reigns. The psalmist says, Break forth and sing for joy. Break dance. My last church, I'm not kidding, I had a lady. She, I love her. She started dancing in the middle of service. And every now and again I dance with her. I mean, it was you say, I can't believe a Baptist church. They're gonna be dancing in heaven. They're gonna be pouting in hell. We're gonna dance. You remember David? David, the Ark of the Covenant came. And David, he got down to his whitey tidies and started dancing and praising the Lord. Now we ain't gonna do that here, all right? (laughs) Keep your clothes on. But let's sing. Break forth with song because we have a king. He says here, sing. Praises, verse 5, to the Lord with the lyre. Now you say, well, preacher, I've been singing with quite a few (laughs) lyres. It's an instrument. If you come to NCC, you'll see Pastor Thomas playing the lyre. It's a a musical instrument. Basically, the psalmist is saying, get out your instruments and sing for joy. Get your lyres out. Get your trumpets out. Get the horns out. Get the the drums out. Get, Get it all out and sing before the Lord. Sing and shout because we have a king who is worthy. He is so worthy. He reigns. You know, like, you know, these sports teams, they win and everybody's number one, number one. We're number one. No, he's number one. He's number one. Here's the thing. We're never defeated if you're a Christian. Because we have a king who is an all-time, undisputed, undefeated champion of the world. Sing for joy. Sing. We have a king. And he rules the world with truth and grace. Thirdly, joy for the Savior reigns. Joy for the, as the Savior has come, the, the King who has reigns. And number three, joy for the judge is coming. This is in Isaac Watts' song. He says it this way. He says, let heaven and nature sing. And then we're going to see some other things here. And he he takes this heaven and nature sing out of verse number seven in which the psalmist says, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy. That's anthropomorphic language. It's taking things that aren't human and giving them human characteristics, saying that when the sea roars and the rivers clap and the hills are alive to the sound of music, they have this joy that they are, they are doing, uh, the best way we can understand human things, that they, are, they have a joy, there's joy in creation over its creator. So Isaac Watts puts it this way in the song. He says, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, Repeat the sounding joy. So the whole earth in in Psalm 98 and in joy to the world, the whole earth is full of joy. Now, this is prophetic language that speaks of the second coming of Christ when he returns, when Messiah comes and makes everything right. Uh, The prophet Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 55, verse 12, in which he says, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Prophetic language. Why would creation sing? Why would creation have joy? Why would creation clap their hands? Verse 9 tells us, before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. You say, well, what? Where's the joy in judgment? That seems like the antithesis of joy. Well, for creation, the future judgment of God is the day in which everything is made right. That the earth and all of creation are cursed because of sin, broken, and that there's a hope, the hope that when the king comes and he judges, he will adjudicate things well and the curse will be reversed and every wrong will be made right. I mean, you... Kind of see this in stories. Like if you've ever watched or read the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings, you, you have this motif that the world is broken and cursed. It's dark. It's winter. It's horrible. And there is all this expectation of the people that the curse will be reversed when the king comes. Where did J.R.R. Tolkien take that from? Where did C.S. Lewis get that from? From the Bible. Paul put it this way, he says in Romans chapter eight, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility. But because of him who subjected it in hope that in creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom, and the glory of the children of God, all of creation is waiting for a judgment day. Why?" Well, because before sin came to this world, there were no weeds, there were no thorns, there was nothing that caused misery or harm. But now after the fall, everything is futile. Everything is decaying. There is natural disaster, there's natural evil, there are hurricanes and there are flooding and there are earthquakes and there are tornadoes and there is physical evil in the sense of cancers and diseases and illnesses and, and there's so much futility. This world and the material world is decaying according to the second law of thermodynamics, which is entropy. It's, it states that, that everything is in constant irreversible degradation it's the constant, irreversible degradation of matter and energy in the universe to increasing disorder. We are falling apart. The reason why we have Hurricane Ian or Hurricane Irma, or the reason why we have three-year-olds with leukemia, and the reason why we have so much pain and hurt and injustice It's because we live in a broken world. And so the question is, how can we have joy in a world that is so broken and so messed up? Because it's not the final word. That's why Isaac Watts wrote, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Watts in this song is saying that, yes, creation is messed up. Yes, we are broken. There are thorns. There are sorrows. But when Jesus the King returns, He is going to make God's blessings and glory and favor and beauty flow more pervasive than the curse. Now, why is that important? Stay with me. Why would Isaac Watts find solace in that? Why would he write this song? Because Isaac Watts lived with that expectation and longing just as creation for the second coming of Christ. When things are going well in your life, you don't necessarily want Jesus to return. Like when your team is winning, when your marriage is good, when your kids are happy, when you're making a lot of money, you say, all right, Jesus, you can come back in a few years. But when your life is messed up, when your world is turned upside down, when you are really struggling with physical pain, relational pain, economic pain, that is where you long for Christ to return. See, Isaac Watts himself was familiar with pain. As a matter of fact, he lived with disease all of his life. He was five foot tall, pale, skinny. It's been said that he had a disproportionately oversized head. He had one love in his life, a a young lady by the name of Elizabeth Singer. He proposed marriage to her and one biographer said, though she loved the jewel, she did not admire the case which contained it. She rejected his proposal. He faced constant opposition to his work from those both inside and outside of the church. He was fired as a, for, uh, for, he was fired as a pastor for writing modern hymns. He was fired for writing Joy to the World. He understood heartache and pain and rejection, and yet he wrote this song with expectation. How could he do that? Because he knew that there was a judge who was coming who will judge the world with righteousness and the people with fairness that the only way you can cope with the injustices of this world is you have to believe there's an ultimate justice and an ultimate judge and his name is Jesus and he's going to right every wrong and make everything sad, untrue, that he's going to bring true and lasting justice and he's going to usher in a new world which may be infinitely better than this world. John the Revelator saw this in Revelation 21. That he saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And he says, I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. How can anyone sing for joy when you know judgment is coming? Like if you knew that the jury has been convened and your life is on the line and you know that you are guilty, how can you sing for joy when judgment is coming? Only those who've been spared God's judgment can sing for joy for God's judgment. You know, the great theologian Tupac said, only God can judge me. And Tupac was absolutely right. God will judge us. God will judge you. But only those who know Jesus can say joy to the world. Only those who have been spared the judgment of God because Jesus took the judgment of God for them can sing for the joy that the judge is coming. See, joy comes from having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I'm dreadfully scared that many of you who call yourself Christians do not have joy because you've gotten away from the giver of joy and you feel entitled to what God has done. You know, every time we get away from the gospel we start to think that we deserve the grace and goodness of God. And some of you, you are Christians and you've given your life to Christ, but you have no joy. Maybe you need to do today is what King David did in Psalm 51, where he prayed to the Lord and he said, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Maybe that's your prayer today. Maybe for some of you, you've never had joy in your life. How can you have joy? Well, Isaac Watts tells us, he says, prepare him room and receive your King. Open your hearts and receive your King. And when you say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life, I surrender my life to you, you get off the throne of your heart and he gets on the throne. See, joy comes when Jesus is on the throne of your heart. I was in the United Kingdom last week. I love England. I love British things. Wish I had a British accent. <laughs> then you would think I'm much smarter than I am. <laughs> but one of the things I've learned in the few times I've been to England, especially to London, is, is how you can tell whether or not the king or the queen are, are home. You, you know how you can tell if the queen, when she was alive, or the king is in Windsor Palace or, or in Buckingham Palace or other pl- You know how you knew? They would, they would, they would raise a flag and it would tell you the king is here. You know what the flag is to the world that the king is on the throne of our hearts? Joy. Joy is the flag flown free from the castle of our hearts. Do you have that joy? Are you sitting on the throne? Or is Jesus? I pray it's Jesus. And if it's not, it can be today. But some of you need joy. So I wanna end with this, it's fun. I wanna end with one of my favorite songs, I've Got the Joy. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Now my favorite part. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a tack. Sit on attack. Ow! Sit on attack. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ow! Sit on attack to stay. I hope you got joy. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, we ask that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation. God, that you would fill us with your spirit. May we sing and shout for joy for the Savior who has come, for the King who reigns, and for the judge who is coming. And Lord, we pray for those who do not have that joy, that today they would get the joy of Jesus in their life, that they would surrender their hearts to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing Joy to the World thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at First, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.